Good morning, guests of honour, Mr S. Ishwaran, Minister for Communications and Information and Minister in Charge of Trade Relations. Distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Forum on Ethnic Identity and Culture. My name is Shamil Zainuddin from Institute of Policy Studies. I'm a research associate there and I will be your MC today. Before I invite the Minister to the stage, here's some housekeeping announcements. The event will be recorded and is open to media coverage. And please put your phone on to silent. Thank you. Without further ado, may I invite Minister Ishwaran to come to the stage for the opening remarks. Minister, sir. Ambassador Zainalabuddin Rashid, Mr. Ong Geng Chun, Executive Director of OnePeople.sg, Mr. Ramesh Ganesan, Director of OnePeople.sg, my parliamentary colleague, Rahayu. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, very good morning to all of you. Uh, first, let me apologize. I got a bit held up uh, in some other matters. But it's a, it's a real pleasure for me to be here with all of you today um, at this event. And I want to wish a, a very good morning to all our panelists, guests, and thank you for inviting me to join you at today's IPS OnePeople.sg forum on ethnic identity and culture. I want to begin by harking back to history. Multiculturalism and meritocracy are the twin tenets upon which Singapore was founded. On the 9th of August 1965, our founding Prime Minister, Mr. Lee Kuan Yew, said, we're going to have a multi-racial nation in Singapore. This is not a Malay nation, not a Chinese nation, not an Indian nation. Everybody will have a place in Singapore. His vision and wisdom have since become Singapore's cornerstone for nation-building. Multiculturalism and meritocracy are inextricably linked. You cannot have true multiculturalism unless everyone has a sense of fair play. And you cannot have true meritocracy unless opportunities are colorblind. Over the past five decades, we have given form and force to these values through our policies. Our bilingual policy enables Singaporeans to interact in English while remaining rooted to their cultures through their mother tongue languages. The GRC system ensures multiracial representation in Singapore's parliament. HDB's ethnic integration policy has helped us avoid ethnic enclaves which is a common phenomenon in many global cities. Our self-help groups focus on uplifting their respective communities, but they also rally together on cross-cultural issues such as education support and student care. So these policies, while not always popular, collectively these efforts have helped us to build a robust system that demonstrates our firm commitment to the founding tenets both in policy and in practice. This system is even more crucial today. And I think it is evidenced by some of the recent happenings that we see. A few years ago, there was an attack on the offices of the French newspaper, Charlie Hebdo, following its publication of offensive cartoons about Islam. Fortunately, in our context, we have strict laws against such actions that can foment hostility between different races and religions, allowing us to balance freedom of expression with racial 
and religious dignity. With the advent of social media, inflammatory content can be produced and spread at a moment's notice. The infamous curry incident, where a YouTube video cast aspersions on the Chinese family involved, was viewed 9,000 times within three days. At the same time, the immediacy and reach of social media can also be a force for good, helping to mobilize people to take a stance. In response to the same curry saga, active citizens successfully organized a cook and share a pot of curry initiative via Facebook to encourage locals to share their favorite spicy dishes with foreigners and other Singaporeans. So there are countervailing forces that we have to deal with, but we can also take pride in what Singapore has been able to accomplish as a multicultural nation. But at the same time, we cannot take it for granted nor presume that the work is complete. Channel News Asia and the IPS conducted a thought-provoking survey on race relations in, nine, in 2016. 96% of the respondents felt that people from all races should be treated equally. And 88% were of the view that having people of different races in Singapore was a good thing. However, 60% of respondents had heard racist comments and over 40% of respondents held negative stereotypes about different races. The survey's findings show that our multiculturalism project is still a work in progress. Today, I want to share with you three ways in which I think we can further build on and reinforce this important effort that we have undertaken as part of Singapore's nation building. The first is that every individual must be able to cultivate a sense of belonging that transcends their ethnic identity, and they must be able to develop a deep and genuine interest in Singaporeans of other ethnicities. Second, at a societal level, we must encourage greater social interactions between different ethnic and cultural groups so that people can naturally forge strong bonds regardless of the usual barriers or divisions of race, language, or religion. Finally, on the global stage, we must signal our resolute commitment to upholding diversity, promoting tolerance, and opposing discrimination, which takes on added significance given some of the rhetoric we hear around the world. Let me begin by talking briefly about achieving a multicultural, multicultural Singaporean identity and society and how that starts from within us. When it comes to the individual's ability to hold both a strong ethnic and national identity, Singapore seems to be doing relatively well. Last year, CNA and IPS collaborated on another study on ethnic identity in Singapore. It found that overall, 49%, just the highest proportion of respondents, identified with both their ethnic and Singaporean identity simultaneously, compared to 35% identifying more with their national, the Singaporean identity, and 14% identifying more with their ethnic identity. So being a young nation, 
with a strong Singaporean identity need not be at the expense of our deep ethnic and cultural roots. These are two important facets of our identity, and they can, in fact, be symbiotic and draw strength from each other. For example, Chinese, Malay, Indian, Singaporeans are proudly following their cultural practices, religious beliefs, because we accommodate this, we cherish that in Singapore. But equally, they instinctively know that they have more in common with one another than with their cultural counterparts from China, India, or the region. However, our national identity will be incomplete if we do not have a keen understanding and appreciation of fellow Singaporeans who are culturally different to ourselves. The same CNA IPS survey found that while most of the respondents were interested in experiencing other ethnic cultures, ranging from trying the cuisine to learning their languages, there was a relatively lower level of actual intercultural exchange and engagement. Less than half of the respondents indicated that they often or always experienced or participated in other ethnic cultural events such as weddings and cultural celebrations. And this is quite telling because if you look at our context in Singapore, we have many opportunities to interact. In fact, we are designed for that. And that is why our policies to promote communication, understanding and social interaction between people of different racial and religious backgrounds remain as relevant and as important as ever. We must ensure that Singaporeans are immersed in a diverse everyday environment that remain, and remain curious about each other's cultures. While cross-cultural engagement is essential, I think we must also be prepared to take a stand against behaviour that is disrespectful to other cultures. And this is the responsibility of each and every one of us to stand up in the context in which we find ourselves in order to defend what we believe to be a fundamental value. This brings me to the next aspect, which is creating a truly harmonious, multicultural Singapore by encouraging Singaporeans of diverse backgrounds to meet, interact, and forge mutual understanding or even lasting friendships. There are already some excellent initiatives and programs for this purpose. MCCY runs Bridge, or Broadening Religious Racial Interaction Through Dialogue and General Education. It aims to build, as the name suggests, bridges between different ethnic and cultural groups. This is done by developing content that fosters understanding of different racial and religious practices in a Singaporean context providing safe spaces for frank discussions on sensitive issues and supporting ground-up initiatives through MCCY's Harmony Fund. OnePeople.sg also introduced the Culture Scope Engagement Program, which makes use of narrative-driven learning journeys to deepen cross-cultural understanding among youths and educators. In partnership with MOE, OnePeople.sg has reached out to more than 1,500 educators and teachers through CultureScope over the last two years, organizing visits to places such as the Silat Road Sikh Temple and Peranakan Heritage Space, the Intan. I'm also heartened by the several youth-led initiatives 
to take a stand against discrimination and promote interfaith and interracial understanding in Singapore. Noor Mastura, who is here with us today, is one of the founders of the Interfaith Youth Circle, or IYC, which aims to build strong links across religious communities and give young people of different backgrounds a safe space to share their views. One of IYC's most well-known programs is SG Muslims for Eid, which allows guests, whether curious non-Muslims or Muslims without a place to celebrate, to visit the homes of generous Muslim hosts on the first day of Hari Raya. As we know, this is usually reserved for the closest relatives and friends. And so, hosts opening up their homes on the first day has allowed guests to directly experience customs, like going home to ask elders for forgiveness. The number of participants in SG Muslims for Eid has risen from 2015 to 2018, and I hear that Nur's energetic team is looking forward to doing something similar for Christmas. In the business terms, it's called horizontal expansion. Noor started IYC in 2014 after reading hateful online comments directed against Muslims on media reports of atrocities carried out by ISIS in Iraq and Syria. It is a reminder that the internet and technology can be unifying or divisive forces. And that is why in this regard, MCI, my ministry, has been working with other government agencies to combat online falsehoods that may threaten our social harmony. Also, earlier this year, we launched the Digital Readiness Blueprint to help Singaporeans navigate the online world confidently and safely. One of its key components is to strengthen Singapore's focus on information and media literacy to build community resilience in the face of online falsehoods. And finally, in complement to these domestic initiatives, last November, we ratified ICED, or the International Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination. This convention condemns discrimination based on color, race, descent, nationality, or ethnic origin. Our ratification of ICED is a tangible demonstration of our commitment to the global effort to promote diversity and combat racism. Notably, ICERD also requires signatories to encourage groups, movements, and other means that eliminate barriers between races and discourages racial division. I fully agree with this approach, as building trust between different groups in Singapore is an objective best served ultimately by ground-up initiatives. So, Singapore has come a long way since the independence in 1965 in strengthening the multiracial fabric of our society. Our progress has been paved by the far-sighted policies of our pioneers, pioneer leaders, and the pioneer generation of Singaporeans. And it is incumbent that we continue their good work by nurturing our individual identities, strengthening social interactions, and building more international linkages in this common effort. I want to conclude by thanking OnePeople.sg and IPS for contributing significantly to this effort through excellent community initiatives and research work on intercultural relations. In particular, 
OnePeople.sg's recent publication, The Singapore Ethnic Mosaic, Many Cultures, One People, meticulously documents the major cultures in Singapore and explores our various traditions, customs, and value systems. And I'm very confident that this book will further enrich our understanding of the rich mosaic of our multicultural society and our shared identity as Singaporeans. I want to thank you very much for joining us today and wish all of you a very fruitful discussion on ethnic identity and intercultural relations. Thank you very much. Thank you, Minister. We would like to kindly request that you remain on stage for the next segment. May I now call upon Madam Rahayu Mazam, MP for Jurong GRC and board member, OnePeople.sg, and Dr. Matthew Matthews, Senior Research Fellow, IPS, and board member, OnePeople.sg, to join the Minister on stage to launch the Singapore Ethnic Mosaic Public Education Series by OnePeople.sg. Now, a bit of information about uh, the series. The Singapore Ethnic Mosaic Public Education Series is a set of online cross-cultural resources developed by OnePeople.sg, which aims to deepen intercultural understanding and allow for wider engagement in schools and the larger community. Adapted from OnePeople.sg's recent publication, The Singapore Ethnic Mosaic Many Cultures, One People, edited by Dr. Matthew Matthews, and published by World Scientific Publishing, the first of the series it focuses on attributes of multiculturalism in Singapore, showcasing our ethnic identities, cultural practices and beliefs, and shared values. Now, we shall invite Minister Ishwaran to launch the resource portal. Minister, please. A joint survey by OnePeople.sg and the Institute of Policy Studies examined indicators of racial and religious harmony and found that interest in intercultural understanding was surprisingly low. These gaps exist for many reasons. For a stronger and more cohesive community, we need to strengthen our understanding about other cultures. That's why, to address gaps in the study, OnePeople.sg has launched several new initiatives engaging youths and working across the community to deepen intercultural exchange and friendships. CultureScope, a narrative-based cross-cultural learning journey, has helped reach out to more than 1,800 youths and educators. I think it's important to understand different cultures because one day someone or the social media tells you something bad about a specific culture, you will immediately believe it and you go against that culture as that's a first impression. It's very important for us to learn about each other's culture. So I think when we have that understanding and that acceptance of each other, I think that just makes the entire experience of life uh, much better. We have to suspend judgement because that really uh, helps us when we meet people. For the first time, OnePeople.sg developed the Singapore Ethnic Mosaic, Many Cultures, One People, in an effort to strengthen intercultural understanding by exploring the various cultural practices, customs, beliefs and value systems of major ethnic cultures in Singapore. But we have not stopped there. Today, OnePeople.sg is launching a new set of public education materials online that aims to strengthen intercultural understanding, 
debunk stereotypes and allow for wider engagement in schools and the larger community. Ethnic Identities, which focuses on some of the interpersonal values and unique historical aspects of our sub-ethnic languages and communities. Cultural Practices and Beliefs, which gives a snapshot of festivals, weddings, rituals and rites and traditional ceremonies which have evolved with a modern taste. And Shared Values, which showcases respect, filial piety and ties that bind our community. To access the resource materials, log on to www.onepeople.sg. I hope you enjoyed that video. And for those who wish to access the online resources, please log on to www.onepeople.sg. Now, at this juncture, I would like to thank uh, the Minister for joining us this morning. Thank you, Minister. <laughs> May I now invite back to stage Dr. Matthew Matthews, Senior Research Fellow at IPS, to give his presentation on ethnic identity. Dr. Matthews, the floor is yours. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you very much for accepting our invitation to be part of today's forum on ethnic identity and culture. And uh, before we proceed with the panel discussions that we have lined up for you today, several of them outstanding speakers, allow me to provide a little background on some of the key issues, and also uh, let me share with you some findings which come from some of the studies that some of my colleagues and I have worked on in terms of ethnic in terms of ethnic identity and culture. So this presentation is from Leonard, Shantini and myself. Some who hold on to the model best described as a melting pot, I believe that over time, ethnic identities and cultures in a society, which has people from different backgrounds, will become indistinguishable. Cultures will fuse into each other and it will be hard to distinguish one practice from another. There'll be essentially a high level of hybridization among cultures. Uh, last two years when I was working on putting the compilation, the Singapore Ethnic Mosaic together and we tried our best to, uh, we were looking out to see uh, what kind of cultures and how cultures had hybridized. I began to realize that uh, in the Singapore case, uh, we don't see that much of hybridization. Much of our hybridization or where cultures meet and interact and form a new product tends to be when it comes to food. So in food cuisine, you've got herbs and curry leaves and spices and uh, condiments like soy sauce, which are used by all the different groups and to create new things. But apart from that, it was very, very hard for us to find uh, lots of cross-cultural borrowings of different kinds of products across cultures. We've got, for instance, the uh, uh, different kinds of uh, ang paos. I mean, the hong paos for Chinese New Year, we've got a red one, we've got a green packet for Hari Raya, we've got a purple one for Deepavali. But apart from that, we don't have many other products. I mean, in our book, we tried our best to find places where there was fusion. So one can safely conclude that in Singapore, uh, our cultures in many ways continue to be fairly distinct. Uh, and this, of course, uh, it comes from much of how uh, policies have intentionally put out our cultures. Uh, 
as you can see from both of the uh, quotes there, our Singapore identity is very much linked with strengthening our own cultures, as what DPM Taman has mentioned. We should evolve, adapt, and strengthen our own cultures. And then, of course, take an interest in other cultures as well. So it's that two, I mean, a depth and a growth of one's own culture and then an understanding of another culture, which is very valuable. And of course, in that whole process, as uh, PM Lee has mentioned, uh, we have evolved to reflect a kind of Singaporean ethnic culture, which is essentially Singaporean. So there's something different about the Singaporean Chinese culture, the Singaporean Malay culture, which will be different from the cultures as presented in the countries of origin. So let me move on now to talk about a few of the key things that we're going to discuss today, but also provide some of our research background for some of them. Uh, the CMIO model encapsulates how Singaporeans uh, look at ethnic identity and multiracialism. Uh, there are clear ways that Singaporeans, whether Chinese, Malay, Indians, Eurasians, and others, are different from each other. Uh, we can see it if you look at the CM, I mean, the typical kind of Venn diagram. Uh, there are Consent, there are circles and there are differences and there are parts of us which are rather different. Uh, but some argue that these ethnic identities are no longer relevant to most people. Rather, we have increasingly have a strong Singaporean identity which has become very dominant. So that's what led us uh, last year to do a survey which essentially tried to look at some of these things and how important were different categories in terms of identifying ourselves. And the minister just mentioned just now, he quoted from this particular survey. You can read more of the survey on the IPS website. This is a joint study by CNA and IPS. And uh, you can find a long uh, working paper on our Institute of Policy website. Uh, when we ask questions, would you say that you identify more with your ethnicity, Singapore and both? We noticed that 49% actually said both. And uh, another 14% said ethnic identity. Of course, about a third said that the Singapore identity was predominant in their minds. But if you... Uh, put some of the, the figures together, about 65% uh, would actually say that ethnicity continues to become an important part of how they identify themselves as individuals. Uh, we do know also that our ethnic identity is important for many Singaporeans, but what exactly does the Singaporean ethnic identity entail? Uh, what are the characteristics of this? So in our survey, we had about 35 items and we asked it for all the different groups, the Chinese, Malay, Indians. In fact, we had a whole category for Eurasians as well. We don't have enough Eurasian sample to make a discussion about that. But when we brought down and we analysed the results, we noticed that there were a couple of, of items which were, there was a lot of congruence. And a lot of Singaporeans felt, so Singaporean Chinese, for instance, felt strongly that it was important if you're going to be a Singaporean Chinese, an important characteristic, 92% would say it's important would be to be able to converse in that ethnic language. And uh, about 90% will we'll, we'll, we'll talk about, 92% talk about celebrating ethnic festivals or giving an ethnic name to your children. Uh, we noticed that uh, for the Malays and Indians, uh, Markers of identity, there were more markers of identity where there was at least three quarters who, of the respondents who agreed to it, but the Chinese a bit less. But what we notice if you just look at, a cursory look at the slides, would be that there are a number of markers which are still very important in defining who we are. Uh, but those markers tend to revolve around a few key things. Uh, no longer do we care so much about cultural celebrations, for, I, mean, uh, I mean, traditions, art forms. Uh, those things rank much lower. If you, look at, if you have a look at the full list of uh, items we ask for when it comes to different kinds of traditions, uh, there are many people who probably don't practice it as much. 
be about you got 40%, 30% for some of those uh, practices. But for others, there's a kind of congruence. So then the quick question is, how relevant are ethnic traditions in the construction of ethnic identity? Uh, is it enough that we just have one or two markers like, like language, for instance, in defining who we are, or are there a lot more? Uh, so one part of the survey we asked very quickly about how people practice their own culture. Again, I'm just showing you a couple of uh, items here, but there are many more items that we asked about. Uh, and we do notice that, for instance, the practice of one's uh, ethnic language was very important. Uh, it's something that many Singaporeans did at least sometimes. And, uh, you know, about 73% of Singaporeans also would follow ethnic rituals that bring in good luck and cast away bad luck. So it's quite substantial. Uh, when it comes to dressing and ethnic attire, we notice uh, much lower. And here you notice, if you look at the slides there, uh, among the Chinese, it's about like just below half, 47.9%. Uh, but when you look at Indians and Malays, substantially more. So 88% or so uh, would feel that that's important. And that's, the, the same trend uh, goes when we look at appreciating ethnic art forms. What about the whole idea about passing cultural traditions to subsequent generations? How important is that for Singaporeans? And when we looked at, if you look at these figures, uh, we noticed that ability to read and write that language is very important. It's still something that about 90-something percent would feel uh, celebrating some key festivals. But then there's some other things which are no longer important. So, for instance, uh, transmitting the ability to cook ethnic food uh, is something that, for the Chinese, about 67 percent, for the Malays and Indians, nearly 80 percent. Uh, certainly, when it comes to transmitting dressing of ethnic wear uh, for the Chinese uh, population or the respondents, we saw less than half would feel that that's important to pass down. But of course, that's quite different when it comes to uh, Indians and Malays. The same goes with uh, music, ethnic music. And of course, part of the reason uh, can be because of the fact that we are highly globalized and many of us consume lots of art form outside. And uh, if you notice, I mean, uh, nearly everybody kind of eats Western cuisine and uh, we asked about Korean, Korean movies and K-pop and all that. We've got high penetration of those things. So given the fact that we define ourselves in some way or another ethnically, we may not have all the traditions, we may not follow all of that, but still people have a sense of ethnic identity and pride. Uh, we ask ourselves, how do we build cohesion in a multi-ethnic environment? So, in our study, we looked at a few things. One thing that we looked at was the level of intercultural literacy we had. How literate are Singaporeans with the other cultures around it? And uh, if you look at this slide very quickly, we were looking at how different groups viewed how important a particular cultural trait was, a cultural behaviour or practice was to another community. And we just showed you just for illustration the case of, uh, we asked people, how important are these to Malays in Singapore? And uh, so, when it comes to the Chinese and the Indians who look at the Malays, for instance, eating halal food, uh, about 70% would say it's important to them. Uh, but that's, uh, when we ask people in the Malay community, it's about 93%. So there's a lot more congruence among the Malay community uh, about the importance of a few of these items compared to how others who look in uh, think about that community. So in some way or another, we do see some gap in terms of how literate our population is in terms of what is important or what is expected of people of other communities. In terms of engagement with other cultures, we obviously engage in our own culture more than what we engage uh, with other cultures. And uh, 
we think about social cohesion, we ask the kind of the ultimate question in terms of how uh, open you are to other people. And uh, we ask people this time about, would you be open for your children or your grandchildren to date someone of another uh, racial group? Now, we didn't ask about marriage, it was very, very close, and we didn't ask about themselves, we asked about their children, and then we, we found results which were uh, interesting. We did notice that uh, there was some, I mean, some amount of openness to interracial dating, actually, is, I mean, substantially high. But also, there were some groups which found interracial dating a little bit more difficult. So if you look at some of the uh, figures there, it's in the 50s to early 60s in terms of the proportion of Singaporeans who agreed to that. Allow me in the next couple of minutes to share something which uh, was not in our original working paper, but something that our team kind of worked on. And we were thinking about how do we profile Singaporeans based on their cultural orientations and their relations. And uh, we engaged in a cluster analysis process. And I won't want to go through all the details of the statistical uh, process. But what we tried to do was to try to use a number of markers. Uh, markers such as global consumption, uh, how much you consume, uh, I mean, global kind of food items, uh, global kinds of performances. Uh, I mean, there's a whole battery of questions. We also looked at people's ethnic pride and performance. So how much they participate in their own ethnic activities, how much they feel proud about ethnic kind of performance, how much they feel it's important to transmit. Some of the figures I mentioned just now. So these two uh, global orient I mean, these two items or variables dealt with the whole issue about whether people have a global and ethnic orientation. Do they have a cultural orientation? And then we looked at a number of items to do with uh, building social cohesion. Uh, I mean, or how we deal with the other. So we had issues to do with inter-ethnic literacy. Uh, we had a way of measuring that. Uh, we had a way of measuring the level of participation that people had uh, interculturally. And we also had a way of measuring how much people are accepting of the other, uh, or the other group. And of course, we used the case of dating as a way, a proxy of this. So let me just share with you four profiles of Singaporeans. And uh, I mean, this is a matter of interpretation. Some of you might disagree with how we interpret it, but this is, how, uh, this is what the data surfaced to us, and it's how we then subsequently interpret that, and I, I hope that it would make some sense to you. Uh, these names, uh, we I mean, came up with these names. Uh, you may disagree with the cho choice of names, but I mean, uh, uh, if, you have, if you find some better names, please let us know, and we're happy to think about that. Uh, the first cluster, the first profile, we call cosmopolitan chameleons. And uh, in this group, what you have is that they, are, they consume global uh, culture. They've got substantial consumption of global culture, moderate. Uh, they have low sense of ethnic pride and performance. They don't really care about engaging and passing on the traditions, for instance. Uh, and, but they participate. They are highly involved with the uh, ethnic other. So lots of participation with different things. And also uh, have no qualms with, with uh, high comfort with dating their children dating across uh, boundaries. Uh, however, what we notice, though, is that this group has low inter-ethnic literacy. So it does not have a strong ethnic orientation, but very open to other cultures, consumes global cultures, and participates in local ones. Very comfortable with their children dating interracially. Or very open culturally, they are not aware of cultural nuances. Then we have the, the second group. And of course, the first group, uh, just to give you a, a sense of uh, Liam, their profile, they tended to be more English-speaking uh, respondents. The second group we had, and they tend to be a little bit more ethnic, uh, they're more comfortable in their mother tongue, or they speak that more often. 
uh, those who had much lower global consumption uh, of products uh, had a high sense of ethnic pride and performance. Uh, and they had, I mean, in terms of participation, in terms of relationships, uh, low inter-ethnic participation and low acceptance of inter-ethnic dating. But despite that, they're fairly informed and they are, I mean, literate in terms of different cultures. So uh, we understood this when we looked at this. This is an older population, uh, not as well-educated, uh, more used to speaking the mother tongue. And ethnicity became a very important aspect of their, their lives. But they are also, uh, though they are fairly insular in terms of their ethnic relations, uh, they are informed in terms of what is expected and what is not expected of the other. The third group, we call it the platonic multiculturalist. And you'll understand why I mean platonic. Uh, they actually score very high on most of the variables. They're very open to global consumption of goods, very fine with ethnic uh, performance. So at the same time, they're, while they're very ethnic, they, uh, they're also willing to participate in the global. Uh, they've got high intercultural literacy. They understand what is expected of different cultures. Uh, and they also participate uh, inter-ethnically, substantially. Uh, the only difference is that, or the only thing that they're low at is acceptance of intercultural dating. That's a little low. Uh, this group uh, is more educated than the informed ethnic insulars. Uh, they also, while they are fluent in both English and Mandarin, or, or in a mother tongue, uh, they are a little bit more, I mean, they mention that they speak their mother tongue more often. Finally, we have a group which is called the culturally closed off. And in this group, uh, they're low in practically everything. Uh, neither really globally or ethnically oriented and has comparatively little cross-cultural participation and knowledge. They, however, have cultural boundaries. For instance, they're not really comfortable with inter-ethnic dating. Uh, in this particular profile, uh, these are groups of people who speak English language quite a bit. Uh, they tend to be living in a little bit more, they're more often living in private housing or better housing. Uh, there are less minorities among this group, and they're generally more educated. I won't go through all the descriptives for time, but let me just give you some implications as a way of closing uh, this uh, I mean, discussion of the different kind of profiles we have in Singapore. I don't know whether that resonates with uh, you, but we've talked to quite a few people and we feel that some of these groups do resonate, resonate with a number of different groups. The platonic multiculturalist uh, might represent the product of Singapore's multicultural policy. Our policies have taught people to be open to cultures, open to global cultures, local cultures, but yet share and feel a sense of ethnic consciousness. And we do care. I mean, if you think about, I mean, our ethnic, I mean, our, our system, which emphasizes a bilingual policy, for instance, people are well trained in terms of what is, um, I mean, a, a, some aspect of ethnicity. Uh, we believe that this group will maintain uh, the status quo of the CMO, CMIO structure. Secondly, we have the informed ethnic insulars. Uh, this might represent what was more common in the past and uh, what might represent more of the the senior generations in Singapore. Uh, getting this group to fully embrace multiculturalism in all aspects of it might be an uphill task. But at least based on our system in Singapore, uh, this group is not ignorant of the differences uh, around. And so they're quite conscious of what is expected of different groups. Uh, and based on their passion for transmitting ethnic culture, then this group will help Singapore overall transmit and sustain ethnic identity. Then you've got the cosmopolitan chameleons. Uh, this group might represent a growing cosmopolitan population. In fact, we noticed that there were I a mean, substantial number of younger people uh, in this group. And uh, they're open to other cultures. 
uh, this group, as we notice, is not as highly culturally literate. And, uh, and of course, one has to be concerned that if uh, they don't watch out, then they might unintentionally offend others. And if you remember some of the uh, major events of uh, offence in a couple of years, things like uh, the issue of the Malay weddings, Amy Chong, they were all people who were globalised, who had a good sense of, who had friendships, who knew people of other races, but somehow they're not very culturally literate and some of that can result in some kind of antagonism. And finally, they're culturally closed off. And uh, this might represent those who see less motivation to be culturally literate or engaged. Uh, and their apathy may not, on the long run, augur well for social cohesion, especially in a country like Singapore, if we care about being multicultural. With that, thank you much, and I hope that we'll have a very engaging session as we have different panels discuss uh, different things today. Thank you.